You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. We're in the fifth chapter of the Mishnah of Beitzah. We are we're going through these uh, these associations. We're chaining Mishnayot that deal with different subjects, but they're all connected and very often the end of one Mishnah is connected to the beginning of the other. So we began chapter 5 with throwing fruit down from a, dry, from a sort of drying place on the roof if it started to rain. Whereas the previous chapter, chapter 4, closed with standing at this drying spot or on some kind of fruit store where the fruit was drying and and designating it to eat the next day. And we noticed when we began the fifth chapter that we can throw this fruit down through the trapdoor on Yom Tov, on Yom Tov, on the festival, but we can't throw it down on Shabbat. So the fifth chapter, in other words, begins with a distinction between Yom Tov and Shabbat, between the festival and Shabbat. And now, the fifth chapter is going to explore this distinction, this tension or the differentiation between um, Yom Tov and Shabbat in a bit more detail. And it's going to begin, by the way, with the similarities. It's going to begin with the similarities between Yom Tov and Shabbat, between the festival and Shabbat. Kol she'chayavin alav mishum shvut, mishum rushut, mishum Everything for which one's liable on Shabbat, because of Shavut, because of Rashut, or because of Mitzvah, one is also liable for on Yom Tov. So in other words, Shabbat and Yom Tov are the same in terms of these issues. And we need to examine what is this Shavut, literally translated means rest, and Rashut literally means optionality, and Mitzvah is Mitzvah, Mitzvah is a command. But even if we can understand the words, it doesn't really tell us what the Mishnah is talking about. Maybe we can begin just by explaining Shavut, rest. And the rabbis have a class of activities which we don't do on Shabbat, not because they are one of the 39 archetypal acts of creation. You know, it's not like plowing or sowing, plowing or sowing or reaping or slaughtering or writing two letters. These aren't active works, but they militate against the idea of rest. And we do have a verse. The rabbis actually learned this from a verse. It's a famous verse. It's in the Ten Commandments. In um, the, the rabbis, in this version, were quoting actually from the Ten Commandments in Shemot, in Exodus. <speaking in Hebrew> Six days you shall do your work. On the seventh day you shall rest. Tishpot. So you'll notice that the root of Tishpot, which is Shabbat, is the same as Shavut, the, the, the term in our Mishnah. So we, we, there are things we don't do because of Shavut, because we need to rest. And in fact, the, the verse goes on to say, in order that your ox and your ass may rest. And we learned actually that the ox doesn't go out with, with burden. And your maidservant's son and the stranger may be refreshed. It's 
very interesting. It's uh, the people have gone out from Egypt and when they're given the commandment of Shabbat, they're giving it effectively in relation to slaves. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, it, it, anyway, it's, it's, we could spend a whole year talking about that, but let's go back. And I, I think it's, and I'm sorry, it's not in, it, this is not the version from the Ten Commandments. I think this is the version from Kitisa. This is from the preparatory to building the Mishkan. So they say, look, you build the Mishkan, but you keep Shabbat. Okay, let's get back to the Mishnah. Everything for which one is liable, everyone for which one's liable on Shabbat because of Shavut, that's rest, or because of Rashut, that's optionality, or because of Mitzvah, what one is also liable for on Yom Tov. So what are these things that we're liable to because of Shavut? Ve'eluhen mishum Shavut, lo olim ba'ilan, ve'lo rochvin al-gabea behema. We don't climb a tree, we don't ride on an animal. We don't climb a tree because we might break something off. We don't ride on an animal because we might break off a switch. We don't swim in water. Apparently that's in case we should want to make a raft. We don't clap. We don't slap. This is clapping our hands and slapping our thighs. And not dancing. And all these last three are all to do actually with music making. These are all in the context of music. So we don't do all of these things, not because they're creative acts, but because somehow they militate against the idea of shavut, against rest. What about rashut? What about optionality? These because of rashut, optionality. We don't, because of rashut, and now we're going to have a list of acts which don't, ha- these are all optional acts. We don't have to do these on Yom Tov. Not judging. Well, if there's another judge in town, you don't have to judge. Not betrothing. Well, you're not necessarily obligated to betroth someone. Maybe, maybe you're already married. Uh, the commentators don't seem to address the possibility that you might be able to betroth her the day after Yom Tov. But the, the point is not everybody ha- is obligated to betroth someone instantly. Not performing chalitza. You might not be in the, in the right person, in, in the right order to perform chalitza. Uh, sorry, you don't... Chalitza is optional because chalitza is the opposite of yibum. Well, let's go on. Not performing chalitza, not performing yibum. Yibum is a marriage to the wife of your dead brother. But someone else, you might have another brother who might be able to do that. And chalitza is disclaiming that act. And obviously that's that's optional. And these three seem to be forbidden because they all require writing out a contract. All of these might lead us to, we might have to write the judgment. Or we might have to write out a marriage contract, or we might have to write out a contract related to the Yibum. So, and we're not going to write on Yom Tov, so we're not going to perform these optional acts. And then finally, and these are because of mitzvah. What activities are we not going to do which are mitzvah? We're not going to dedicate something to the temple. We're not going to value it. Now, in terms of valuing, we're talking about valuing objects which are given to the temple. 
not devoting. Now, devoting to the temple is very similar to, to dedicating. And I think the difference is if you dedicate an animal, it has to be sacrificed. Whereas if you devote it, the priest can just sell it and use it for general expenses of running the temple. Velo magbihin truma o maser. And we're not going to take truma o maser. And all these things seem to be in the nature of commercial acts. It's not exactly a commercial transaction to give something to the temple, but it's very close to it. Very close to it if you're going to value something or hand it over. And in terms of taking Truman Marseille, well, of course, once you've taken Truman Marseille, you make the food ready to be eaten. It's a bit like the last hammer blow. You change its state from being inedible to edible. And again, we're not going to do that on, on Yom Tov. In fact, we learned yesterday that only in the seventh year, when no Marseille is necessary, are you allowed to just go up to your fruit drying, your drying space, and just say, oh yeah, I'm going to eat these fruits on Shabbat. So we're not going to carry out these activities, either because they look like commercial transactions, or in the case of Truma and Maaseh, because they actually make the food fit to eat. And the Mishnah goes on to say, All these things were actually said about Yom Tov. These are all forbidden acts on Yom Tov. So how much more so are they not allowed on Shabbat if they're not allowed on Yom Tov. And then the Mishnah continues, and this is a general principle, actually, that we began the tractate with. There's no difference between Yom Tov and Shabbat except for human food. That's the essential difference. And of course, that's why the Mishnah of Beitzah, the whole tractate of Beitzah, is really focused on food right the way through. And we might observe that this last remark in the Mishnah seems to be according to Beit Shammai, because we already learned the Beit Hillel actually will allow us to carry on Shabbat. And sometimes we need to carry in order to prepare food. So Beit Hillel have a slightly broader interpretation of the difference between Shabbat and Yom Tov. Beit Hillel would say we can cook and we can carry, and we follow, we follow Beit Hillel. And Carrying, you know, the rabbis are very, very interested in carrying. We learned at the beginning of the tractate of Shabbat that um, the idea of carrying actually runs right throughout, maybe even as much as half of the tractate of Shabbat, and of course all of the tractate of Erovin. And the Mishnah will let now, until the end of the tractate, really talk about issues about carrying. And of course, we can carry on Yom Tov, but we can't carry beyond the Shabbat limit. So being able to carry, in, let's say, in the street, doesn't entitle us just to carry anywhere. And the Mishnah continues. A beast and utensils are like the feet of the owners. And by utensils here, this might include clothes, by the way. Kalim are anything you can wear or take. So a beast and utensils are like the feet of the owners, i.e. they have the same Shabbat limits. Hamoser behem tolivno olorore, hare elu karagliabalin. 
If someone hands his cow over to his child or to a cow herd, they are like the feet of the owner. This is the cow now, not the cow herd. So in other words, if it's your property, when Yom Tov begins, it retains that status right the way through Yom Tov. Handing your property over to someone else to take care of it doesn't change its status from the point of view of the Shabbat limits. And the um, the Mishnah will make this blindingly clear in the next few examples. Let's look at vessels. I should not have translated this as vessels, actually. These are kelim. They probably refer to clothes, not vessels. But kelim in Hebrew can be indeterminate. It could be a could be a pot or it could be a coat. Anyway, stuff, stuff, I should translate. Stuff that's been designated for one of the brothers in a house. Hare elukaraglav. They are like his feet. So in other words, if he has set up an Erev in a particular day, if he set up an Erev, so he can go 2,000 Amot one way, but perhaps not the other way, they can go in that same direction. If they haven't been designated, they are like a place where they may, well, I put in brackets all here, where they may go. But the Mishnah is talking about somewhere where they may all go. So, for example, if one person has set up an Arab one way, and then the, remember we said you could set up an Arab to the east, and go to 4,000 Amot east. You could set up an arrow to the west and go 4,000 Amot west. But you couldn't do both. You had to choose. Now, if we've got two brothers in the house, and one of them has set up an arrow to the east, and one has set up an arrow to the west, then and there's some coat in the house that is designated for both of them, or that's not been designated at all, that coat can't actually go anywhere, because... It doesn't specifically belong either in the eastward or the westward direction. It's just stuck. It is stuck. So if you want to move your stuff around on Yom Tov, at least you need to designate it to whoever is going to move it. If someone borrows a something, again, a vessel, but it could be a coat. If someone borrows a coat from their neighbor on Erev Yom Tov, on the eve of Yom Tov, it's like the feet of the borrower, i.e. essentially it's treated like the borrower for the purpose of Shabbat limits. But Yom Tov, but if he actually borrowed it on Yom Tov, it's like the feet of the lender. Because we can't, we don't change the state, this coat that we've just lent on Yom Tov. We can, I mean, I can lend you my coat on Yom Tov, but its status with regard to the tchum, with regard to the Erov, doesn't change. And we learned, when we learned the, the, the tractate of Erovin, we learned that everything in Erovin works as the world was when Shabbat came in. In other words, if, it, if the Erov is good when Shabbat came in or when Yom Tov came in, it's good right the way through Shabbat. But we can't change the status after Shabbat. And it's the same with this Lent object. If it belonged to the the lender when Yom Tov came in it's like the feet of the lender 
האישה ששאלה מחברי צצרינו מים ומלח לעיסתה. What about a woman who borrowed from her neighbor spices, water or salt for her dough? Very interesting, by the way. The Mishnah is specifically talking about women with regard to making dough. So maybe, you know, maybe that was a feminine occupation in those days. They are like the feet of both of them. So we've mixed a dough now. The flour presumably comes from the borrower. But the spices or water or salt come from the lender. So they both have a share in this dough. So the dough can't move except in a place where they can both go. Just like the clothes that have not been designated and might belong to one or the other of the brothers in a house. The dough can't move except somewhere where they may both move. Rabbi Yudah poter b'mayim. Rabbi Yudah exempts, actually, in the case of water. Because Rabbi Yudah says, look, there's no substantial ownership over water. Anybody can own water. So lending somebody water to make dough doesn't give you a share in the dough. That's the view of Rabbi Yudah. And actually, the sages disagree. The halacha does not. Go according to Rabbi Yudah. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.